think I like to compare it to like the time I came and told my husband that I wanted to learn jujitsu. <laughs> like you're starting a business, you're starting something new, and you're thinking of peace rate. Okay, do you want to learn jujitsu? Me, I'm not very athletic. So my husband's response was like, maybe you should try to get two miles in walking in less than 30 minutes. How about we start there? This is the one and only, the original podcast where you can find yours and your business's true value. You're listening to Our Value. Brought to you by America's insulation source, IDI Distributors. You want to hear from the best contractors, suppliers, and consultants that dedicate themselves to more than just survival in the business world? Industry professionals that are dedicated to excellence in every aspect of their business? Our Value has them all here to share that same motivation and knowledge with you. Tune in and grow a more successful, profitable, educated, and recognized business. Listen to the Our Value podcast to become the industry leader in your market. Find your value with Our Value. Welcome to the R-Value Podcast. On today's show, we're excited to explore the rabbit hole that is HR compliance issues. More specifically, we're talking about important compliance topics that may seem like small, minor details, but can result in major headaches from the government. We have a lot to cover today, but before we get into that, you're probably wondering who this new voice is. My name is Blake Morell, IDI's Marketing Manager. I've been involved in the R-Value podcast from behind the scenes for some time now, so I'm excited to finally be in front of the mic. I also have another new voice with me, Brenda Madsen, who is IDI's HR Operations Benefits Manager. Brenda brings with her extensive knowledge around compliance topics from over 15 years of HR experience across numerous industries. Thanks for joining me, Brenda. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me today. I think we can all agree that it's important to have a compliant business. But at the end of the day, why should you care about being compliant and how does that play into running a profitable business? Well, for starters, money, or should I say keeping your money? You could be heavily fined for even simple things like an incorrectly filled I-9, which is your record that you verified both identity and work eligibility for each new hire. In fact, when I was doing some research for this podcast, I was surprised to see that wage and hour violations are considered one of the largest types of theft in the United States. You can bet that's a pretty hefty fine. There's also the reputation of your business at stake, both how your customers perceive your business, but also potential employees. What that means is finding quality labor and new customers will be even harder than it already is. Finally, you need to consider the resources you would need to invest in correcting these errors, which like all other work responsibilities that aren't contributing to the growth of your business is a waste of time and money. So we've covered some of the reasons why you wouldn't want to be non-compliant, which is great, but you're probably more concerned about staying compliant. Have no worries. We got your back, which is why we brought Maddie Hollis onto the show. Maddie is a talent development and HR professional for Big Rig Lending. Big Rig Lending helps small business owners with commercial loans for repairs, insurance, taxes, and working capital in 37 states. Over the last 20-plus years, Maddie has gained critical HR experience across numerous industries, in addition to becoming SHRM, SCP, and SPHR certified. I'm not even going to attempt to say the full names of those certifications because I know I would butcher it more than I already did. Not only that, but Maddie's also the author of an HR blog that publishes new articles monthly. Let's begin our discussion with some background on why Maddie calls her blog HR Department of One. 
A peer has suggested that I should focus on providing advice to small business owners uh, just because of my knowledge and my passion for that, whether it's an HR department of one, like myself, that's literal, or an office manager or someone in an HR team. In the end, we want folks who are leaders to come to us because they want to, not because they have to. So if you're an HR department of one, you kind of take ownership of the advice you give and the decisions you make. I love that. I love that. Very empowering, right? <laughs> uh, well, great. Before we get into the actual uh, our our conversation and topics for today, I did want to mention uh, a couple public service announcements. First off, to our listeners, try not to be overwhelmed by the subjects we cover today. We know that a lot of this isn't common knowledge for newer contractors and honestly, even for some seasoned business owners. That said, these are very serious topics that you need to be aware of in order to sustain your business for the long term. We also want to call out that we, IDI, are not a law office or HR agency and the same goes for Maddie, in that we're not disclaiming and not providing any legal or HR consulting in this uh, podcast. We won't get into it too much today, but if you don't have an HR professional that you work with, there are plenty of freelancing consulting services available out there. So without further ado, Maddie, I do want to ask you what your top five things a, new, a business owner should do when they start hiring W-2 employees. Well, gosh, I also have to add Godspeed to you as you go through this process, but it's very exciting. I think the top five would be, number one, make sure you're set up, you know, federal ID number, make sure you've got that all squared away. And then state, state labor department and unemployment insurance is super important. And Blake already mentioned this a little bit, I-9s, make sure you know how to follow that process. Workers' compensation, that's a requirement everywhere. Make sure you get with someone to get that set up. And employee handbook, which I prefer to call employment guide. I do want to jump back real quick to your first point on the federal identification number. Could you maybe go a little bit more into exactly how a company could go about obtaining this? I think the easiest way possible, which for you may be going to your small business administration in town and getting their help to get you get set up. There's also places online where you can Google that and get set up, which is, I think, a pretty easy way to do it. If you're fancy, go with an attorney, I guess. You can do that, too. But there's a lot of resources out there on how to do it. But simple Google, how to apply for it is sufficient. Great. Uh, and then also the your last point on an employee handbook, you know, do you have any best practices on some things just high level to consider to put into it? I think an employment guide should basically say, this is who we are and this is how we prefer to do things around here. It doesn't have to be super long, but most of the time what you need to share is like, hey, these are ours. This is how we pay you. If we provide benefits, this is what they are. And when you're eligible for them, there's other things like, hey, if we need to have a conversation about your performance, this is typically how we go about it. And there are some boring things like the required stuff from federal and state that you may need to have in there, which really is going to vary by where you're at. And let's not forget dress code and safety. 
One other thing I wanted to mention, me and Brenda were chatting about making assumptions of the law and say I'm a contractor or business owner. If an employee comes to me and tells me, you know, this is required under law, maybe it's saying I can only work 40 hours a week, it's required by law. Is it best practice, you know, to request proof of that employee that it is law or do I need to look into it myself even if it sounds correct? This is why it's good to kind of think of these things ahead of time so you're fully prepared and confident in the responses you may need to give someone. Uh, that's going to depend. Most of the time, I feel pretty good about the answers I'm giving and I can say, I don't really think it's that way. Let me tell you why. or Tell me more about why you think that is, is a good question to ask someone. I don't lean towards confrontational on it, so I don't ask for proof, but I don't know everything. So I'm happy to say, hey, you know what? Send me what you have, because I definitely want to look into it and we'll talk about it again on X date. But if I know the answer, I'm going to share what I know. Or sometimes it's just the way we do things here. And hey, be transparent with that too. That might be that way somewhere else, but here we do it like this. Anything to add, Brenda? Yes, I think it's really important to the people that work for you to know that you're always going to present them with transparent communication. And I think it's very important for you as a business owner to be humble and recognize that things in the space of employment law change very quickly. So when an employee approaches you with that question of, I believe this is law, or I believe you as my employer are obligated to do X, Y, Z, if you're surprised by that information, Certainly don't take it as fact, but acknowledge that things change and you'd like to take the time to do some research and get back to them with a response. Don't feel you have to give them an answer right away on the spot. Take the time to research it. We know many laws change on the state and local level at the beginning of the year, mid-year, sometimes on a random date that seems tied to nothing. So it's always a good idea to confirm so that you can formulate a well thought out response and decide how you want to operate this at your business within the parameters of the law. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we're not playing Jeopardy, right? We don't need <laughs> we don't need an answer right away. <laughs> so Maddie, at what point do I need to switch someone from subcontracting to being a W-2 employee? Is there you know, maybe some laws around that, or is it really just personal preference? There are laws surrounding this, and it could get pretty complicated. I like to keep things simple. So basically, at the point where you're telling someone where to be, how to be, when to be, and it's completely related to your type of work, and you have full control of their hours, their schedule, whether or not they can work for someone else, then they're likely going to be your employee. Uh, that's the simplest way to me to look at it. The IRS goes by what's called common law. Other states go by ABC rules. I don't know that we want to get that deep into it, but really it is about control. Yeah, that's a good point too. I mean, like say for example, I want everyone on the job site starting at 8 a.m. And, you know, with a subcontractor, I'm assuming that you don't really have that much control over when they say they get to the job site. You know, you 
you could put requirements and when the job needs to be done by but saying when they the exact start time you know maybe that's a good time to start considering turning them into a w-2 employee and it's really going to depend on the scope of work that you're talking about some subcontractors really are just that and you do negotiate through a contract right like i had work done at my house my general contractor decided when things were going to be done and maybe i said well that doesn't quite work for me and and that was okay we kind of negotiated that and they can go work at 50 other houses in my neighborhood but when they only work for me on my schedule on my instruction then they're my employee. Now, what about the IRS viewing a subcontractor as your employee? Is there, does this vary by state or is there kind of a one, one line fits all in terms of when the IRS would be like, nope, that person's your employee? I mentioned earlier about common law and the ABC test. Uh, so the IRS does have their system of evaluating that. Um, I think over time they've added bullet points to that on everything that you need to assess. And states also have their own way of doing it. And some have like a version that is a merge between the two. So what you wanna look at is what's most favorable to the worker. And that's a lot of information that you have to go through. That's why we keep it simple who's controlling, how is he getting paid, who's deciding who can work for who, and all those things. If you're telling them what to do, when to do it, how to do it, how to dress while they're doing it, how to drive, uh, how to be branded while they're doing it, um, then they're probably your employee, especially if they're not working for anyone else. So, Brenda, since we're on the subject of compliance, you know, W-2 versus 1099 workers, I do have a couple high-level questions that immediately come to mind, like when do I need to start withholding taxes? You need to start withholding taxes as soon as you pay an employee. The government really wants to make sure that everyone is paying their fair share of taxes. So as soon as you have an employee that is payroll, you need to be withholding and submitting those taxes, federal, state, and sometimes local. Is that the same then for unemployment insurance? Absolutely, yes. And along with that, when you have employees that you're hiring, most states require you to do some sort of new hire reporting where you let the state know who you're going to hire and who you're going to pay. States use that information for different purposes, taxes initially, setting up unemployment insurance should the person become unemployed later, and sometimes to collect back taxes and child support. It's very important that you do your new hire reporting as well. What about adhering to minimum wage and overtime laws? I know they vary by state. How do I make sure, you know, I'm being compliant in the state that I'm in? A great place to start is with your state's Department of Labor. In every work location, you actually have some requirements to hang up workplace rights posters. Now, what these posters are will vary by your state and sometimes your locality. But again, your state's Department of Labor is a great place to start. You'll be able to discern from there what posters you need from a federal level, what ones you need for a state level, and which ones might be local requirements. These posters conveniently will include information on minimum wage 
wage on overtime, any particular employee leave laws that may apply to your group. And many states, as well as the federal government, have poster decision tools where you can actually put in your information and they'll tell you what to print and post. There are services that you can contract with to hire out that will do this work for you. They'll keep updated on the state laws as they change and send you updated posters. They're not terribly expensive services. If you have just one location, this may be something that you can handle on your own or with your office manager, but it is an important component of compliance. These posters will also contain information on your workers' compensation insurance. As Maddie mentioned earlier, this is a requirement in 49 of our states. I believe Texas technically doesn't require it, but it's a good idea to have it. So you'll have all that information there as well. Great. And I know you mentioned multiple locations. Now, this might get pretty complex, but what about multiple states? If if I'm working, say, uh, right across the border, is that is there the state that my office is located in, even if I'm doing work in a different state? You need to follow, in most cases, the state where the work is performed. And that applies to the majority of your employment laws. Where that can vary a little bit can be with income tax withholding. And this is where it gets very complicated. If you have employees that live in one state and work in another, you need to check your state tax laws for something called reciprocity. In some states, if you pay tax in one state where you work, the state will send a credit, essentially, to the state where the employee lives in. Not all states do that, though. Sometimes you have to withhold in multiple locations for a single employee. I'm assuming at that point, it's probably best to make sure you have some type of either outside help or internal role to help you with those items. Yes, absolutely. It's a great idea to have someone on staff, or you certainly can do this yourself if you feel you're equipped to, have a good software package to handle your bookkeeping. There are many services out there that will handle your human resources and payroll needs. Some smaller companies will do this through a system such as QuickBooks. The nice thing about these systems is they will help you calculate the taxes that are due, and some services will even make the payments on your behalf, saving you one one more task to have to remember. Oh man, I know I know our contractors out there. One last task is is music to their ears. <laughs> well, you did mention record record keeping, so I did want to hit on this last point. What about keeping records of ex employees? Should I be doing that and? Should that extend even all the way to subcontractors that I work with? I can speak to this from an employee perspective. The general rule of thumb for most employment records would be to keep those for approximately seven years. And a lot of that is because it parallels the timeline the IRS can look back for tax purposes. So in general, it's a good idea to keep your employment records for at least seven years. Now, there are some records you need to keep for longer than that. If you have health insurance information, workers' compensation information, if someone was injured at work, uh, who your carrier was, that information generally should be kept for a longer time. The general recommendation is about 30 years for those. So, Maddie, when can I put someone on salary versus paying them hourly. Is there any laws around this or is this more along the lines of personal preference and how you'd like to run your business? I have a joke internally. Hey, we can have 
everyone hourly, including the president. No problem. We can have everyone's salary. No problem. What we're really asking is salary exempt, really called exempt in the law, or hourly non-exempt, which is what Wage and Hour Department of Labor calls it. And they could be the same thing, but they really aren't legally. You can technically have someone on salary who's a janitor. And you can say, hey, you get a base pay up to your 40 hours of X amount. If you work 36, you still get paid for 40. That's a salary. But you still have to track their hours. They still have to clock in and out or write it somewhere. You have to have some sort of tracking mechanism if they work over 40 hours, that's the federal. Um, some states, it's different. It could be eight hours, could be some other uh, number. You have to pay overtime. So paying salary doesn't necessarily mean you don't have to pay overtime. For exempt, of course, these are professional positions. These are specific types of positions that qualify for that. There's uh, guidance on how you evaluate those positions and they don't need to get paid overtime. That's what exempt means. You're exempt from overtime. And what about, you know, talking about company culture, you know, the laws and requirements aside, is there a way to Im implement that um, as a form of status? Like say you mentioned a janitor, say the lower levels of my company, I want to make hourly, but as a form of status, once they get promoted, they switch over to salary. Do you hear about that often as being a form of people running their companies? You know, I I used to hear about this uh, more often, uh, maybe up to five years ago. I think as we value our time more, more folks are open to just being hourly. Hey, I come in, I work, I go home, I do my job, you get what you need from me, and that's all I want to do, and I want to have value to my time. And so I don't know that... There's an appetite with the current workforce, at least in my area, to see salary. Next one I have is comp time, which is actually a new term for me I'm personally not super familiar with uh, and, and why we can't do it versus paying overtime. So first off, can you explain, Brenda, what comp time is and then going into why we can't do it versus paying overtime? Sure. Just to work in what Maddie already informed us about, the default for employees is that they are non-exempt, meaning they're eligible for overtime. So if your normal work schedule is Monday through Friday, eight hours a day, and you need someone to work on Saturday, once they've worked more than 40 hours in the week, they would be eligible for overtime pay, which is time and a half their base rate of pay. Now, you might look at one of your employees and say, hey, I need you to work Saturday. So how about you take Tuesday off next week or Wednesday off next week? So you work six days this week, four days the week after, and we'll be even. And actually, that would be considered comp time. And unfortunately, that is not currently legal in the United States. Ironically, it's only legal if you work for the government. 
Now, certainly you can have someone work six days one week and four days the next week. It's perfectly legal to change the schedule to meet business needs, customer needs, or just because you want to. However, you do need to be very mindful about paying overtime, time and a half the base pay, whenever you have an employee that works more than 40 hours during your established work week. So I have another one here. What about paying by set versus piece rate? So if I pay by set or piece rate, does that help me avoid making them W-2 if I go one way or the other, Maddie? No. It does not. And you really are talking about two different things because we already discussed whether somebody's an employee or a contractor, that's separate. And now you're talking about a method of payment. Uh, most of the time, folks want to do a piece rate type because it seems cleaner, right? You're, you're thinking in your mind, it's a flat rate, it's going to keep it easy for me. I don't have to do as much tracking and it might save me money. But that's not the case. You, you still have to pay someone um minimums and you have to track hours so it doesn't actually save you time i think i like to compare it to like the time i came and told my husband that i wanted to learn jujitsu <laughs> right like if i'm starting so like you're starting a business you're starting something new and you're thinking of peace rate okay do you want to learn jujitsu me i'm not very athletic so my husband's response was like, maybe you should try to get two miles in walking in less than 30 minutes. How about we start there? So piece rate may be one of those things that you could pay an employee that you could look at later when you have a little bit more experience. and It may work out for you, but it doesn't save you the steps of tracking time, how to set up their minimum pay rates, then being non-exempt or being an employee or being W-2 versus being a 1099 worker. What's some best practices when someone clearly doesn't fit for our team or isn't working out? I know that can be sometimes a difficult conversation. Is it something that you can just quickly say, hey, this isn't working out? Sorry, but we're going to have to let you go. Or is there processes that should be built in there to lead up to that? This is one of those things of just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Um, we, we hire humans. We hire people. And there's some sort of moral test to that, I think, in my mind, too. Like, how do we want to treat people? So, yes, in most states, unless you're doing it for a discriminatory reason, which is a whole different topic, you can just say, hey, you know what? I'm just firing you today. But who does that serve? It doesn't serve you as a business owner. It doesn't serve the employee. So what I recommend to even on my business leaders is say, like, look, when you hire someone, Tell them what your expectations are. Tell them how you like to work. Tell them how you're going to measure their work. We go into detail and to say, look, these are all the things in the system that we're going to be tracking to let me know if you're being productive. Transparency. Why not? It's not a secret. You want folks to know. So if someone's not performing, they should already know, look, this is what's important to me. Like, for example, for me, I work in an office. Punctuality is super important to me. If I have folks who are reporting to me, I'll let them know, look, I do watch. And if you're showing up two minutes late, that's just not going to be good for you and me in our relationship because that's important to me. I am measuring that. Where someone else might be like, ah, just get here by 945 and everything is good. Let them know that information so it's not a surprise. And if you have an issue, then address it. It doesn't have to be super escalated and a write-up or a final written warning or anything like that. It could just be a mention. I'm sure Brenda has more thoughts on that. 
Sure, I'm happy to chime in. I think to expand on what Maddie indicated, it's a really good practice to be transparent about the expectations you have for your employees. And if they're not meeting expectations, think about how you might like to be treated if you're not meeting one of your customer's expectations. You wouldn't want the customer to just cut you off and stop doing business with you. You would want them to provide you feedback and clarity around their expectations and where you may not be meeting them. And you'd also probably like them to give you a chance to improve and win back the business. It's a really good practice to treat your employees the same way. Be very clear about the expectations. Reiterate what you did up front as far as needing them to be on time, performing work a certain way. Clarify for them the differences between your expectations and how they're performing and give them a chance to improve. Also, it's very helpful to be specific about the timelines. How soon do you need to see improvement? How much improvement do you need to see? When will you follow up with them? Now, there certainly are instances where the behavior is so egregious, you might need to make an employment decision immediately. Examples of this might be if someone is stealing from you, if there's a safety issue, there might be some things that you just cannot correct, and then you may need to make the decision to separate a little more quickly. The good news is you can do that, but your most important weapon in this area will be documentation. For all of these discussions and all of these situations, documentation is absolutely key. This will help protect you and your business should the employee decide later on to pursue charges under a discrimination claim, an unemployment claim. You will have the facts available to defend yourself and your business. Yeah, that's that's great point in terms of documenting Is there anything else from a termination standpoint, say, you know, you've reached a point where it's it's a necessary business decision. Is there any steps I need to take that should be step one or step two after informing the employee, whether that be government or internal process? Well, once again, these requirements do sometimes depend on the state where you do business. And if you are planning a termination, it's a good idea to do some homework ahead of time. There are states that require specific notices be physically handed to the employee. There are also some very specific requirements around your final paycheck. Those of you who are in California probably already know if you terminate someone involuntarily, you have to hand them their final paycheck at the time of termination. This requires some homework up front before you present the termination. So it's very important to check those requirements and make sure you have anything necessary at the ready so that your conversation can be short and direct. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I didn't realize that about California. Luckily, I don't think I've run into an issue where I needed to find that out yet. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, both Brenda and Maddie, for all the great insights that you guys have shared today. I've certainly learned a lot, and I hope our listeners did too. I did just want to remind all of our listeners, again, that it's okay if these topics are new to you, and it may feel overwhelming. You know, 
there are tools and resources out there to help your business be compliant and you're not alone in this. Every business owner, big or small, needs to go through this step at least at some point in their journey. Uh, Maddie, I, I know I mentioned the start of the, the podcast, uh, Big Rig Lending. Can you tell me a little bit more about them? At Big Rig Lending, we focus on meeting the needs of small business owners like a lot of the listeners. Uh, we can turn around a loan once you apply and get us all the information in 24, 48 hours, up to $25,000. You know, sometimes you're short on payroll, maybe. Sometimes you need to fix a vehicle that you need for your business. Or sometimes you have a large uh, tax or insurance payment due. Uh, you may be a perfect person for uh, Big Rig Lending to help you. Yeah, definitely. Listeners, you know, if that is that something up your alley, make sure you check them out. And then, Maddie... I know we talked about HR department of, of one, your blog. Uh, you know, if we have a listener that wants to get more insights from you or reach out, how can they go about that? You can email me at mhollis at bigriglending.com or look me up on my LinkedIn under Madeline Hollis. And of course, you can always find my blog, HR department of one, and reach me that way. Thanks again, Brenda and Maddie, for all your help today and, and for walking us through all these important topics. It was certainly helpful to me and I hope to our listeners as well. Our value listeners, make sure you subscribe to IDI social channels or our YouTube channel where we post a new video monthly. If there is a topic that we haven't hit on before that you want to hear, feel free to give us a buzz. We'd be happy to consider it. Thanks, and we look forward to chatting with you guys next time.